You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, you've got the opportunity to interview a notable person. What's, what's one question you'd ask? What's one question you'd ask of a person who has devoted his whole life to the intensive study and research of the Word of God? Uh, a man who has, has been given world acclaim because of his books on theology and doctrine and other aspects of Christian thought and teaching. A man who's lectured at Princeton University in the United States. A man who's lectured at the University of Chicago. A man who among his peers in the world of academia and in the world of pastoral ministry is regarded as an, absolutely, an absolute spiritual giant, a legend. What question would you ask this man to ensure he didn't look naive or stupid? Well, that was the challenge of a young reporter from a Christian magazine back in the 50s. And she, she coined the right question, which she thought would, would be the open-up. And she said, Dr. Barth, because she was interviewing Dr. Karl Barth, a German theologian, one of the most prominent theologians of the 20th century. He died in 1968, did all those things I mentioned and a whole lot more. She said, Dr. Bart, in all of your research and your, your study of the scriptures, what's the most complex thought or concept you've ever had to deal with? And she thought, that would be a good question to kind of get, get the ball rolling. And we're told the great Dr. Bart sort of uh, paused for a moment. He said, I would say the greatest theological concept I've ever had to deal with would be... Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And in that remarkable answer, that great man of learning uh, highlighted something that's amazing about the Christian faith. Because you see, its teachings are so deep and unfathomable, you can spend the whole of your life researching and delving into, into all that the gospel has to offer and never fully grasp it all. On the other hand, these same teachings and this, this, this simple message can be presented in a way that's understandable by even a small child. You can crystallise the essential meaning of this message into simple songs and little stories that even a young child can grasp. And, and it's a great delight of, of parents to tell bedtime stories to their children and their grandchildren. I mean, this is a unique feature of Christianity. And I believe it confirms absolutely confirms that this really is, this, this gospel really is the message that our Heavenly Father wants the world to receive, irrespective of culture, irrespective of intellectual capacity or understanding. Everybody can understand the essential meaning of, of this book. I mean, we don't tell bedtime stories to children about neurosurgery or about quantum physics or about... Nuclear medicine. I mean, it's pretty darn hard to, to bring those great areas of learning into a form that would have any appeal whatsoever to a little child. But we do with Christianity, and we do it very successfully. Now, friends, look, here's the thing, though, that's, that's puzzling. I find this puzzling. Given that the message of Jesus is essentially simple and easy to understand, how come so many well-meaning Christian groups and individuals have totally missed some of its vital components. I mean, let me, let me illustrate. I mean, over the centuries, 
Whole nations have justified violence and oppression in the name of Jesus. How could you do that when Jesus was so clearly against violence and said so many things about peace? But that was the way it was with the, with the Crusades, for example. How come there are churches so strong in their emphasis on judgment and law when Jesus said so much about grace and mercy? And how come that some individuals and church organisations believe that the gospel is only about social welfare and justice issues, nothing else? That's what it's all about. When Jesus said so much about personal salvation. And then on the other hand, how come there are churches and organisations with such a, a strong focus on evangelism that they have little time and give little energy or attention to social action? Now, look, I understand the need for specialisation and I understand that not all ministries can you know, deal with all the issues relating to the faith. But I'm also acutely aware of the need for balance in all that we do for the Lord. But look, the doozy of them all for me, this is the, this is the big one. The one I'm really uh, sort of puzzled by is the way many Christians, both individuals and church organisations over the centuries, have missed the fact that as Christians, we are meant to make an impact on the world. We are meant to influence people and situations. We are meant to make a difference. How could we have got that so wrong? Jesus states it clearly, unequivocally in this reading that Colin has brought to us from the Sermon on the Mount. You, you my followers, you my people, says Jesus, are the light of the world. You are meant to serve as a, a beacon of my love and grace and justice. But how is it that so many individuals and groups over the centuries have chosen to, uh, to ignore that, that, that teaching? And far from shining in the world, they've decided to withdraw from the world. I mean, you look at the monastic movement across Europe in the Middle Ages, when men and women in their thousands went to monasteries and to uh, abbeys across that great land to engage in what was pretty much self-indulgent, self-serving lifestyles, benefiting really no one but themselves, particularly in those communities where you didn't even talk for years. How would you handle that? I have great difficulty, uh, I'm sure. I mean, look, I, I can appreciate the tremendous value in, in withdrawal, in contemplation and solitude. I mean, Jesus was a, he was a front-runner. In this area, he was, he was a great model of what it means to get away and to draw strength in the moments of quietness. But, but after he'd been to the mountaintop, after he'd had the, the time of contemplation, it was always to go back to the valley to frontline ministry. In fact, it was his times of intense prayer and meditation that enabled him to burn more brightly as the light of the world. So how do the Amish, for example, justify their withdrawal from the world? And I've, always, I've been fascinated by the Amish for many, many years. I had the privilege of going to their part of the world over there in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania and other parts of the United States. Quaint people. But when you look at it, really, you know, and, and exclusive brethren, which I know some of you have had experience with over the years through family, where it's not so much a matter of shining in the world, it's a matter of shunning the world, I mean, when you think about it, but even these groups tend to pale into insignificance. When you think of a man like Simon Stylite, 
We, we looked at him a number of years ago, if you were around on that particular morning. He was a man, Simon Stylite, who in the early uh, 400s AD sought to withdraw from the world. Uh, he'd had enough. And so he decided on a life of permanent solo contemplation. But some pilgrims were kind of attracted to his pious, mystical ways, and, and they kind of followed him. And he didn't even want to have anything to do with them either. So he started to live on a series of uh, columns or, or stone pillars that were found in the ruins of a city that we would know in a country we would know now today as Syria. And as the crowds gathered more in greater numbers, so Simon Stylite got on pillars that were higher and higher. So he could just be right away from all, the, all this, this, this dross of humankind. And in history records that the pillar he ultimately settled on, had a little tiny platform for, for, his, uh, for, for, for living, was a, a, platform, a pillar that was 15 metres high, 50 feet high. And he lived there for 37 years. Didn't come down. Now, that raises in my mind a whole stack of questions about personal hygiene and, and uh, just other lifestyle issues we're not even going to contemplate. But uh, <laughs> except to say that what, he had certain rules, because people were fascinated by this. He still holds a world record for sitting on a pole, even uh, with Guinness Book of Records. No, nobody's beaten Simon Stylite. And uh, we're told that... Uh, he, uh, he was very insistent that there were no, no women come, come near the, the, uh, the, the pole he was sitting on, not even his own mother, uh, who, of whom he once said, or to whom he once said, if we are worthy, we shall see one another in the life to come. That's a parting word to your mum uh, as she went off into the distance somewhere. Look, he attracted a lot of, he attracted the attention of a lot of the leaders of the church in those days. They, he kind of, some words of wisdom would filter down from the, from the, the tower every now and then. And today in Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, some Eastern Orthodox churches, he's regarded as a, as a saint. And look, I'm not here to criticise Simon Stylite, but all, all, I'm just using him as an extreme example of it's hardly a model of being a light in the world, is it? You know, with, withdrawing to that extent. Friends, there are some fundamental characteristics of light which apply directly to the kind of influence we are meant to have in our world as disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's the first one. A light is only effective in the darkness. It, it sounds obvious, but it's, for, it, it's got deep theological meaning, that particular characteristic. You see, this is the tension we work under as Christians, living and moving in a world that exhibits so much darkness so often, while at the same time handling life in God's strength, in a way that serves as a guide, as a pathway, as a floodlit runway for those around us. There's the tension. Living in a world of darkness, but shining as a light for direction and purpose in life. Uh, you see, every day, you and I have the opportunity to dispel the darkness of prejudice and discrimination by showing acceptance and love. Every day. We have the opportunity to dispel the darkness of self-centeredness and self-interest by living a life with a, gener with a spirit of generosity, by showing a willingness to care and become involved in the lives of those who are struggling with life. We help to dispel the darkness of bitterness and resentment, which has so many people in its grip. We have the chance to dispel that darkness when we show forgiveness and mercy. 
It doesn't take much. It can have a huge impact on those who are on the receiving end of that. These and so many other character traits and life choices are captured beautifully in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12 and verse 2. Listen to this. We know it so well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is pleasing and what is perfect. Let God transform you inwardly. You see, friends, being lights in the world is not about trying desperately to live a good life. We're trying hard. It's not about that. It's about allowing God through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us from within, to change our attitudes, to change our spirit, to change our wills, to change our hearts. But here's another characteristic of light. The light in itself is not the centre of attention. I mean, when there's a blackout, and uh, growing up in my day here in Sydney, we used to have blackouts all the time. Don't have any blackouts now, but down in the old Bunurong power station down there was always a lot of blackouts. Anybody baby boomers here would know about that. Uh, when, you, when you have a blackout and you reach for a torch or you light a candle, the source of light is not the centre of attention. You don't sort of like look at the torch uh, or look at the candle. The centre of attention is that which the light is illuminating. We look at and we appreciate the difference the light is making, the positive influence it is having on our darkness at that time. Jesus said, let your light shine before people so they will see, not you, but see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. They won't see you necessarily. They'll see the work and they'll see the Father. And that's how it works in the kingdom. And friends, giving acknowledgement to God in the things we do to influence this world is a critical component in our integrity as Christians. And look, in our weaker moments, it's tempting. It's really tempting to take some or all of the credit for the good things we're able to do in the name of Jesus, all the helpful things, the supportive things, the caring things. It's a human temptation to sort of, yeah, well, I guess we did pretty good there, you know. And look, that's okay, but it's, it's such a blessing. And so many of you operate like this. I know, I know this church. I know how some of you operate. It's such a liberating thing when you can minister in the name of Jesus without any thought of personal reward or accolade. When you, when you know that most of the things you do are just between you and God and the person concerned. And you may never get a big announcement up here on the platform or a big write-up in the church paper but you just know in your heart you have been Jesus to somebody and it's a liberating thing when you're not looking for any other reward other than the satisfaction of knowing that he now and one day verbally will say well done good and faithful servant here's probably the most obvious of all the characteristics of light but it has to be stated a light needs to be visible a light needs to be visible and here's the part where Jesus utilises a touch of stand-up comedy. Now, I don't expect any of us to go roaring around in the aisles because it's not that funny from our point of view. But when you look at ancient literature and what constituted humour, this would have been a, a, a sort of a mild attempt at some humour where, where Jesus says uh, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 5, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, it is put on the lampstand where it gives light for everyone in the house in the same way. Your light must shine before people 
so they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. Now, if Jesus was in the modern context, he might say, look, here's a guy and he's reading a really interesting book as he's going off to sleep. And he's reading it by the, the light of his bedside lamp. All of a sudden, the globe goes. So he takes the globe out and roars around the house looking for a new globe. And like every time you're looking for a globe, you can never find one, finally finds one, puts it in, can't wait to get back to the book, but then throws a shirt over the lamp and darkens the room again. And they all go, oh, that's funny. Like, we don't think it's funny, obviously. But, uh, but, but uh, you know, in those days, they go, and Jesus would say, well, who, who does that? Who does that? Who would possibly do that? That's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> friends, I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I've been guilty many times of throwing a cover over my life and over my lamp. And I'm sure if you have a look at your lives, you probably have too. We all do. I've thrown the cover of silence over my lamp when there's an opportunity, been an opportunity to speak a word for the Lord, and I've let it pass. We throw the cover of fear when anxiety is on the rise about what people might think if we were to do that or say that or stand up for that. The cover of apathy when I've let the chance to influence a situation or a person just slip by, just hoping somebody else will pick that up. I haven't got time. I mean, you know what I'm, t- what I'm saying there. So it's not that funny after all, in the sense that, like Jesus, he was getting to the heart of the matter when people do put their lamps uh, under a bowl. Well, here's the question as we bring this to a close. How have we, how have we the Christian church, <laughs> Over the years, have we got it so wrong in some instances when really it's oh so simple? You are the light of the world, said Jesus. And Paul, speaking to the faithful Christians of Philippi, he reminded them of their calling in Christ when he said this, you must shine among them like stars. And this was in the world of paganism, lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. And going back to the earlier point, stars are only visible at night, only visible in the darkness. Shine among them like stars lighting up the sky. Beacons of light in a world of darkness. Friends, in any given week, would you agree with me, in any given day, we're all given stacks of opportunity to be a light, to be an influence in certain situations within our families, within our workplace, on the university campus, within neighbourhoods. It's not a question of ability. It's a question of availability. And look, I tell you what, one prayer, you talk about answered prayer. There's one prayer that I've found, and I know many of you have found, always get answered, always gets answered. If you begin a day with, Lord, I want to be an influence for you today. I want you to open my eyes to situations, to people where I can make a difference no matter how small with a word, with a gesture, with an appropriate email or phone call. Please show me those moments. Now, in my experience, okay, I, I get paid to do this kind of thing because I'm a pastor. But beyond that, even before I got into the ministry, one of the things that led me into the ministry was a realisation of how much need there is around the place. You pray that prayer, Lord, take me to situations where I can be an influence no matter how small. That's a prayer, in my experience, that is always answered, never fails. It's pretty scary. Don't pray it with real sincerity unless you're ready for the answer when it comes. Friends, one of the awesome privileges of being part of a dynamic church like Northside is the opportunity to impact, to influence a local community, a nation, the world. 
what we can do as a body. Wow. Fantastic. At Northside, praise God, our influence by the grace of God seems to have been expanding with every passing year. It's been part of our history here. And this year in 2013, with some of the initiatives, some of the missional initiatives, both local and national, that we have in the pipeline, that pattern is going to continue. And what's our motivation? At the bottom line, is to make a difference. It's to make a difference, to work in the kingdom. The rich harvest that Paul refers to in Ephesians 5, chapter 8. How long since you've looked at this first? Look at this, Ephesians 5, verse 8. You yourselves used to be in the darkness, but since you've become the Lord's people, you are in the light. So you must live like people who belong to the light, for it is the light that brings a rich harvest of every kind of goodness, righteousness and truth. Wow. We should have those words out on, the, out on our front wall. Goodness, righteousness, truth, you know, and a whole bunch of other words as well. That's, that's what we're standing for. Friends, that's the, that's the rich harvest that the people of the light are destined to inherit and to see. So, withdrawal from the world? No. Compromise with the world? No. But being a light in the world, standing true, standing solid for Jesus Christ? Yes. This week, you, me, potentially combined cumulative impact on the city of Sydney could be unbelievable. You know what I'm talking about. You know the moments that come every day. Surprising moments. Risky moments. Moments that will leave some people going, wow. What was that? I didn't expect that. Watch for them. Grasp them. It's all part of being a